The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue looking at God's response to Job and his miserable comforter friends, we have seen that as he comes on the scene, he directs their attention to the majesty of his creation. Today, we begin to see how God takes care of his creation. His providential care of the entire universe demonstrates just how awesome God is. God continues to point Job and his friends toward the awesomeness and majesty of himself as he sets them straight about who he really is. Join us as we continue to look at God's response to Job, and we see that he indeed is the answer to every single problem of life. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Oh, for a breeze of heavenly
we go back tonight to the book of Job, we're in the 38th chapter, which is the chapter where God comes on the scene and begins to state his case against Job and his three friends and Elihu. Of course, he addresses Job primarily, but I don't want us to think that he's only talking to Job. He's talking to all of those miserable comforters that, that were having this discourse with Job. And also, I'll just say it this way, I believe he's talking to us today because what he has to say is so important for us to keep in mind as we face the troubles of life. When we think about the length of our prayer list here at church and the troubles that we know about ourselves and all those that are out there that we don't know about, sometimes we get discouraged, sometimes we get downcast, sometimes we get angry. As we've seen all of this throughout this whole book of Job, Job wanted to just die. Job wished he'd never been born. And so ultimately, we are no better than Job. And we can have the same problems that Job has. But if you remember what we said to start with, the themes of Job are patience, pride, and pity. And we get that from James 5.11, where we see that the ultimate summation of the book of Job is that God is very pitiful and of tender mercies. Many read Job and think God is torturing Job. And we know from having examined it that it's the devil that's torturing Job. God is suffering some things to occur, and he suffers many things to occur in our lives. And he does that for reasons, and sometimes the reasons are only known to him. Sometimes the reasons become clear as we go through the process of the suffering. We're going to get to a point here where I think we're going to see some, some of the reasons, at least, that God suffered this to come upon Job. Because the Job that we read about at the end of the book of Job is a different Job than we read about at the beginning. He's a good man. He's a good godly man. He's the most godly man in, the, in that part of the country. God himself attested to that. But he's not a perfect man. And we've seen pride. We've seen self-pity. We've seen struggles. We've seen some great statements of faith as well. But here we got God coming on the scene, and he finally speaks. And you remember what we said we were kind of titling this, this portion of Job? The answer's God. What's the question? <laughs> And that could apply to our lives, because in every situation in our lives, the answer is God. It doesn't matter what the question is. So God has come on the scene, and this past time that we were here, you know, he started out asking the, asking the question, basically, who are you, Job? <laughs> who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? He said, gird up your loins. I'm going to ask you some questions. Get ready, boy. And then he takes us through, uh, he, begins to, he begins to point out who he is. He begins to not so much describe what he's like, which is what all of the friends and Job and Elihu all tried to do. And, so, and it's important to know what God is like. But what we really need is not a dose of what God is like, but a dose of God and who he is, his majesty and his glory. So he's asking the question or answering the question, who am I? Well, the real answer again is, I am God. I am God and beside the, me there is no other. He had said in the first portion of this chapter down through about verse 38, he says, let me tell you who I am. And let me tell you by pointing you to my creation. Look at the majesty of my creation. And he gives us an overview. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the world? And he goes on through all of those questions and he gives us an overview of the, 
the, the, the vastness of the creation and the glory and the intricacies of the creation. And he even gives Job a cosmic tour of the creation there towards the end. And then he begins to turn into an exposition of how he himself providentially provides for his creation. He's, he's talked about the inanimate creation and he's about to talk about the animate creation. So beginning in chapter 38 and verse 39, he turns to the animals and the living creatures and he begins to parade all sorts of living creatures before Job and his friends. If I counted right, there's six beasts and five birds that he uses to demonstrate how awesome he is. And what this does, as we saw last time, it basically demonstrates how God cares for what he created. And he's asking Job, basically, he said, Job, do you understand how these created things live and function and how to provide for them? Because if you don't, that means you're not God. But see, I do, because I am God. <laughs> In fact, just before we get into it, you might just turn with me over to the Psalm uh, 104. Because this particular Psalm is all about the providential care and power of God over his creation. Psalm 104. We won't maybe go through all of it, but we're going to look at part of it. Listen to this. Okay, look here. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the water, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind. <laughs> I've always thought that verse was amazing to me. It, it always has been amazing to me. Because I've flown through the air in an airplane, but I've never been able to walk on the wings of the wind. What a glorious thought that God is able to walk upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers of flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. And he goes on to talk about covering the deep with a garment and how the waters stood above the mountains. And, but when he spoke, they fled and they, they went to their place. And he, he set a bound, verse 9, that they may not pass, that they may not turn again to cover the earth. That's a reference back to his promise after the flood, that he would never cover the earth with water again. He would never destroy it like that. And he goes on all through this. And skip on down to about verse 16. Look at this. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon which he planted. Where the birds make their nests. And then he goes on to talk about the stork and the fir trees and the hills being a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. Think about the intricacies of creation. Think about all. I love watching those nature shows. They're so amazing to me to see just the little details of things. I, I'm fascinated by the great sequoia trees out, out in California. Those great giant sequoias and the, and the giant redwoods only grow on the western slope of the Sierra Nevada because it's only there that they have the right conditions to be watered. See, most trees get all their water from the ground, but those great sequoias, they're so tall and they're so massive. The redwoods are even taller than the sequoias. They're not quite as massive. But they have to be watered by the mists that come in off the ocean. They, can't, they, they, don't, they draw most of their water from the leaves up high in the tree as opposed to the, the, the roots in the ground. And, 
And I was watching a show about that, and you think that's just amazing in and of itself, but uh, I was watching a show about it, and they, they took a camera on up into the heights of the tree up there, one of the trees. And those limbs are like tree trunks. And they actually found a, another ecosystem, basically, in the trees. They had little lizards and certain type of birds and even some other animals that live their whole lives, those lizards particularly, in that tree. It was like their own little world up there that God had provided for them. And, and it's amazing to see all of the intricacies of creation. And that's what he, he goes on here. And he's basically Psalm 104 is a repetition in many ways of what we're going to read in Job chapter 38. But look over one more before we get started in Job again. Look over in one four, uh, Psalm 145. In Psalm 145, look at these verses. Verse 1, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. And by the way, if you'll notice that the title of this psalm is David's Psalm of Praise. <laughs> David's Psalm of Praise. He says, Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Look at verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works, the things God has done. The most wondrous being, uh, as far as nature goes, is the creation. It's just the creation. And, he's, and skip down to verse 9. Look at verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Now, I know that when he's coming on the scene here and telling, telling Job these things, that there's one sense in which he's saying, you need to be careful about asking for me to come on the scene so you can argue your case. We're going to see that in a minute. But there's also a sense in which he's reminding Job, hey, I take care of everything that I've created. We're going to see that particularly tonight. I take care of the creation. He said, look at that. He says, thy tender mercies are over all his works. His tender mercies are over all his works. Skipping down to verse, uh, just a couple more verses. Verse 15. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. That's the God we, that we serve. He takes care of his creation. So let's go back to Job and look at this. He's, he's beginning to, to talk to Job and explain, not only am I great and majestic in all my works, but I take care of that which I created. So look at chapter 38 and verse 39. Wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion or feel the appetite of the young lions? When they couch in their dens and abide in the covert to lie in wait, who provideth for the raven his food? When his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat. Now notice what he's saying here. He's saying here, I'm involved in the feeding of all my creation. Even, you know, again, go back to the nature shows. I love to watch the nature shows about the lions. The pride of lions that works together. You know, they're not, they're not intelligent beings like, like humans are, but yet they work together by instinct. By instinct, they learn and they teach their young how to hunt and to, in order to have food. And, and God says, I'm the one 
doing that. I'm the one that's feeding them. Now, I don't mean that he's, you know, in the details of, you know, we're not talking about some kind of pre absolute predestination. But what he's done is he's infused them with the instinct. He's infused them with the knowledge to be able to take care of themselves. He says, when they couch in their dens, he says, are you the one going to hunt the prey for the lion? Job, are you the one going to fill their appetite? No, it's me. That's a rhetorical question. It's me. I'm the one that takes care of that. You know, everybody loves a lion, right? King of the jungle. <laughs> Majestic. When that old lion roars and shakes his mane, God's watching. God's watching when they take down the prey. But let me ask you this. In verse 41, he talked about ravens. Who cares about ravens? I mean, they're basically a glorified crow. <laughs> Nobody likes a crow. I don't. They're just... I was over in England in 1989 and went to the... Uh, to the uh, Tower of London and one of the famous aspects of the Tower of London are the big black ravens that dwell there you know used to they had a function there where they would uh, basically they were carrion birds and people that were executed they would they would feed upon them nobody liked ravens what's the worst that awful poem <laughs> I mean it's a famous poem but uh, Edgar Allan Poe the raven I mean it's just when I think of a raven I'm not really all that excited you know I'm, I'm, I love seeing a lion it's amazing but I see a raven it's getting it out of my sight and yet we're told that God feeds the ravens you know we read over in Matthew he even cares about the sparrows we mentioned that last time I think my grandmother McCool hated those town birds <laughs> she took every opportunity to get rid of them and they are just an aggravation and yet Jesus said that one sparrow he said two sparrows are sold for just a farthing, a small amount. They're not worth hardly anything. But one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. God sees every sparrow. He feeds the raven. He is involved in the taking care of the feeding of all of his creation. Now look in chapter 39 as we continue reading. Let's just read the first few verses. Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark when the hinds do calve? Canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? They bow, they bow themselves. They bring forth their young ones. They cast out their sorrows. Their young ones are in good liking. They grow up with corn. They go forth and return not unto them. He is involved in the bringing forth and the bringing up of his animals. God is involved. Again, we're not talking about some kind of absolute predestination, but what we're talking about is a God who upholds all things by the word of his power. He has infused them with some special uh, sense and with some special characteristics that allows them, and we're going to see that in a moment, about one of the dumbest birds there is. And we're going to understand that even that dumb bird is taken care of by God. Job, can you do this? I can and more importantly, I do. I do. Job's been accusing God of being unjust, right? But yet God says, you can't take care of these creatures, and yet I do it. Verse 5, who hath sent out the wild ass free? Or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass, whose house I have made in the wilderness? And the barren land his dwellings. He scorneth the multitude of the city, neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. That's the one that would... Take him captive. That's what he's talking about. Someone who would 
who would who would drive one as if they're hooked up to a cart. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. See, there's this wild donkey that lived out there and wasn't subject to anybody. There's, you know, we understand some have been domesticated, but in that day and still today, there are places where these donkeys, these wild asses are out there on their own, and they are, they are able to take care of, they're able to live and dwell, and not just live and dwell, but to thrive, you see. God is involved in the watch care of all of his animals. Look at verse 9. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow? Or will he harrow the valleys after thee? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great? Or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? Now, I don't know exactly what this unicorn is. It, it could very well just be a unicorn, as we think of a unicorn, that has one horn sticking out of its head. It also may mean the wild ox. There's some scholars that think that that's what it's a reference to. There was an auroch that was a wild ox that is now extinct, that was a massive creature that lived out in the wilderness and was never tamed. You know, some oxen are tame creatures, most are that I, I'm aware of, and they're, they're used in the, in the daily labor. Well, God says this particular creature, whether it's a wild ox or whether it's a unicorn like we think of or whatever it is, he said, is that creature willing to serve you, Job? Are you able to tame him? Are you able to bind him and put him in front of your plow and plow up the land with this wild creature? And the answer, of course, is no. He can't do that. You know, wilt thou trust him? Because his strength is great. In other words, he's too massive for you to be able to tame. You know, I think about a buffalo when I think about this. <laughs> Nobody's ever been able to tame a buffalo. In fact, it's hard to keep a buffalo in a fence. And I'm not sure, I'm not aware of any kind of fencing that actually will keep a buffalo in. If a buffalo decides to get out, it's going through the fence. There's nothing that will stop it. But you see, here's what he's saying, Job, I'm able to subdue my creation. I'm able to bind my creation. If I wanted to, I could put this wild ox or unicorn behind or in front of a plow and I could ride behind him and plow up the whole earth, you see. Now look at verse 13. I like this next section. <laughs> Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich? He's beginning to talk about a couple of, a couple of uh, birds here now. And one of them, the peacock, which I don't, I don't have any reason to believe it's not talking about the peacock we know, but it could be talking about some other bird. We, we don't have to worry about the exact definition of what it is. It, it is a bird that has goodly wings, wings that work, wings that make him fly. But then he says he also gave wings and feathers to the ostrich. What goods are wings and feathers to an ostrich? The ostrich can't fly. You know, he's beginning to point Job to the strange anatomy of some of his creation. So as we continue reading here about the ostrich, listen, listen to the characteristics of the ostrich. Which leaveth her eggs in the earth, and warmeth them in dust, 
and forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain, without fear, because God hath deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth herself up on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. See, this ostrich that he's talking about here, it, in verse 18 said she scorns when she gets lifted up, when she gets really going, she scorns the horse and the rider. In other words, she can outrun a horse. She can outrun a horse. But notice that, that she's, she puts her nest in a vulnerable place. She can't fly. She puts the nest down in a vulnerable place. She seems to be unmindful of her young, doesn't care that they could get trampled or anything like that. And yet the ostrich still survives. The ostrich didn't just have one generation and then die because they were so foolish. They, they lack some wisdom. They lack a lot of wisdom. God has deprived her of certain types of understanding, but yet the ostrich still survives. In other words, he is able to care for the ones that are not otherwise cared for. When they abandon their young, when they don't care about their young, God can take care of them. The ostrich may be foolish, but they're still around. <laughs> they're still here. God has taken care of even the foolish-looking things of creation. Isn't that something? He can take care of even the foolish, the most foolish-looking things of creation, which is, which is good news to me because sometimes I act pretty foolish. <laughs> Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.